1: What the process looks like in terms of uncovering the truth of who you are is really doing this kind of work around self-development and understanding the wounds that we all carry and where we bought into you know, the lies before we knew they were lies about ourselves and really stripping away. So for me, it was realizing, wow, I have a really disempowered relationship with the feminine. Wow, I actually believe that being feminine is weak. Wow, this is actually not true. And so it then led to me immersing myself in rediscovering my feminine energy and seeing the beautiful power in that and what that did was it supported me in healing so much within myself and then it actually enabled me to call in a partner that could hold me fully.
0: Hey U-Turners, it's Ash here and I have somebody on the podcast today that means a lot to me and it is one of my oldest dearest friends, uh, Jessica Winterstern. We've grown up together the past decade and even more. I think it's been 15 years. And she has grown to be one of the most inspiring coaches I know. She focuses on women's embodiment or, you know, in regular lay terms would be like life coaching. And she has a real gift for helping you with your own empowerment, your love life, or just you in general, your confidence and your mindset. And so I wanted to use her brilliance today to share with you about how you can start keeping your heart more open. I think in relationships, sometimes we tend, whether it's with our relationship with ourself or a partner, we tend to have experiences that hurt at one point or another, and we tend to close up. And uh, that question becomes such a challenge of how do you stay open? So Jess, I love you. Thank you so much for making the time.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be here.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's so funny. Like having grown up together these past years, it's like, who would have known that here we would be together talking about like the coaching world. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've come a long way. (laughs) (laughs) Comes days. Days. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, so I know, obviously I know your story, like the back of my hand is sometimes, but I feel like everybody listening, there's so much you have to say, not just about like where you started as a human, like when we met, when we were like 18, but like who you are now and what you've been going through now and what influences you've had on your life. So I would love for everybody to just like briefly learn a little bit about what got you into this work.
1: Of course. Yeah. So, so my passion has always been really understanding human dynamics and relationships from a little girl's perspective. I've always been fascinated with people and grew up sort of as a confidant for my friends and ended up studying that in Um, undergrad, you know, got my bachelor in science and applied psychology at NYU and then went on to study human development and psychology at Harvard and got a master's in education there. And from that point on, I was working, working with young women, supporting them and really developing and cultivating their own self-esteem. And I was working at an independent school in Montreal, where I'm from. And somewhere along the way, as I was teaching these young girls about loving themselves and feeling empowered, I realized that I wasn't actually living the things that I was teaching. And no matter how much time I had spent researching and sort of getting lost in the theory, it became a really present and aware. I became aware of the fact that I wasn't embodying these concepts. And so long story short, that kind of led me down this sort of existential crisis, crossroad moment of my life. And I left my job, my relationship, my family, and I just booked a one-way ticket to India. And so In India, I really did a deep dive into self-inquiry work and self-development more from a a different kind of perspective. There was obviously a very spiritual construct around the work that I was doing there, and it allowed me to peel back layers of myself and really come into contact with these parts of me that were so dependent on external factors, whether it was my relationship and how my partner viewed me, whether he loved me or not, you know, whether a relationship was thriving or not, or, you know, just my success in the world, in my job, the accolades that I had received, whether my parents were proud of me or not, there was so much focus on all of these things. And when I started to strip away a lot of this, I realized Without these variables, I was very much disconnected from my worth. And so in seeing that, in looking really at the relationship that I had cultivated with myself that was really reliant on these very impermanent things, I... I recognized that this was my opportunity to really tune in and start to develop a loving relationship with myself. So, you know, we hear these concepts of self-love and we, you know, they're obviously very present in our sort of new age community and they're important, but it's like, what does that even mean? And as I was an Indian, I was really, you know, in a space where a lot of these variables weren't as present. It was an opportunity for me to go deep and look at, Look at the things that I had been uh, focusing on from a place of lack, and there it was just sort of the beginning of my journey. And from that point on, I was, you know, there was a lot of different things that had happened. One of them being my mother was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, and so when I was in India and I and I got the news that she was sick, it shifted my path yet again, and. I never thought that I would end up in Los Angeles, but she was there. And when I found out about her illness, I knew that it was mine to do, that I was there to be a caretaker for her and to support her. And so I left India, moved to Los Angeles, uh, reunited with you. And from that point on, there was a deeper sort of uh, calling for me to really attune to love and the heart through painful experiences. And so I ended up caretaking for her. I ended up uh, working in some inner city schools, teaching a youth empowerment curriculum from a very different place. Now that I had really done a lot of the work around feeling embodied within my own self-esteem and empowerment. And I also, thanks to you, enrolled myself in Um, applied in spiritual psychology at University of Santa Monica and did another master's degree in that space. And so what that did was really supported me as I was dealing with grief. It supported me into moving into a deeper practice of spirituality and really understanding things from a different perspective, feeling much more empowered in these hardships that were dealt with and faced with and really understanding that things happen for us and that there is blessings to be found in these really challenging moments. And so from that point I started my coaching practice. I got really deep into a lot of different work. And so in the last, you know, several years I've been working with different teachers one of my teachers that I've been mentoring with and coaching under has been David Data, who's a master in the space of masculine and feminine practices um, and polarity and intimacy, great mm. intimacy. And so that has really supported me in this you know, path that I've been on since, again, I was a little girl, super sensitive, super attuned to people's feelings, very much connected to my heart, and didn't really have an understanding as to how to deal with everything that I was feeling growing up, mm-hmm. and so in that way, in all that I've learned, and the teachers that I continue to work with, whether it's David or whether it's um, Mary Holnick or uh, Bobby Klein or Clarissa Estes, I'm really soaking up the wisdom of elders, recognizing that there's just so much juice and um, goodness to be cultivated in these different practices from these different people that have been living and experiencing both the highs and the lows in their life and really taking those hardships and turning them into beautiful things. Mm. And so, Today, I recently got married to my amazing husband, who's also very steeped in the work and does a lot of work around conscious masculinity. And so together, our practice has really served me in being embodied in my feminine heart and really getting to serve my clients and help support women in opening in a much bigger way.
0: Oh, Jess. And I, I think the, one of the biggest gifts... I've gotten to seen as like the different versions of you and you are so much more the walk that you were talking about was you felt like was missing or that you weren't embodying. And it feels really good to be speaking with the world in this conversation with you through that place that you've reached. It's just so amazing. And I know that you talked a little bit with me whenever I see you about these stages. And I think this is a good thing to kind of start with because you learned about these with David Data. And I also know how much they kind of apply to your own stages that you went through with love. And I think the stages a lot of people are in. So could you walk us kind of through what those look like um, in theory, and then also kind of the practice of what it might look like in your somebody's day to day life?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, well, there's so much I can say about the stages that David, you know, outlines in his work and so grateful for his work in this world because it's, it's so supportive to all of us. And so just from a more basic perspective, because I could go on and on about this, um, the first stage is really about the me. And it's, you know, if you think about just our sort of survival instincts and, probably where a lot of us are right now in the world, you know, just given everything that's happening with this global pandemic, it's it's really like egocentric, not in a bad way, but just in a way where we're focused on ourselves, what we can do, what we can get you know, our fight, flight or flight instincts may be activated. And so it's really like about the me. Um, so in relationship, what that looks like, it's like, okay, how does this relationship serve me? Or how do I get that person to love me? So it's really focused on the individual. When you move into the second stage, it's about the other, it's about the you. It's, you know, in a relationship context, it's like, how can I serve my partner? There's a lot more sort of feeling of like communication from the perspective of I hear you I want to understand you it's a really beautiful place to be in you feel it a lot sort of in the collective field of of just this more new age concepts of like really wanting to understand the other, creating space that's safe for the other to be heard. And so it's it's a really beautiful place to go to. There's also, it speaks to a lot of like self-expression in the world that's happening as women are on the rise and they're claiming their freedom and their voice. There's something to be said for like, you know, speaking to that from a place of like, going from maybe more submissive energy and closed energy to being more heard and more expressed. So it it kind
0: of... So stage one, you're saying is about the I, like, I want this, I want that. Does that have the submissive energy?
1: So yes. So again, this is like a much bigger conversation, but yes. so, So it's about the I, but then there also, it could be like, if you look at someone who has been potentially coming from a place of more of a sort of disempowered experience where let's just call it she okay so she's Mm -hmm. been feeling disempowered in her life or afraid or has been more muted or hasn't felt like she's had a voice that is another con context around first stage energy. It's like wounded. It's fear-based. So it's not only survival, which again is important in moments. It's also when our wounds are activated. So it could also be someone who's really aggressive. Someone who's, you know, maybe um condescending in that sort of like, I'm gonna take this, I want this. That's all first stage. So it kind of it 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 goes uh it moves through different sort of layers, but it's it's yes, the context of the individual, the me, and you, you see it in the wounds and the fears and the stories that play out in our lives. That would be first stage. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So it's, its and when you said it's more focused on the I, it's, it's interesting because I know everybody listening, I have such a group of note takers on the podcast, which is so cool. Cause that's how you and I totally are Jess, like with this stuff. So You were saying like, what would it, what would somebody look like or sound like in a relationship? Like if there was a fight or a disagreement, would they be kind of like projecting on the other person, talking about what they want out of the other person, like what gets them activated? And I know I'm kind of generalizing what could be a huge conversation.
1: So it can be an either or, so it's, it it could be that, you know, again, if it's coming from the eye and it's coming from that first stage energy, you could be someone who is in blame mode in wrong making mode in projection mode anger. And so there's a lot of, you know, fire, which is not a bad thing, but coming from the place of you did something wrong. I'm upset because, and there's a disconnect, there's an armoring up. Also, there could be someone who is fear-based and in her first stage or his first stage where there is like an abdication of the self. So Mm -hmm. Almost like walking on eggshells, um, doing things so that the other doesn't get upset, um, feeling, you know, in that sort of fear of ruffling feathers. And so there's an acquiescing that occurs and a shape-shifting that may happen so that you aren't disturbing the peace. That Mm. is also first stage. If it's coming from wounds, it's first stage. So that's sort of the context around relationship in that way. And again, what I was saying about survival, which is an important thing first stage isn't a bad thing. We all have a first stage part of us. And as we grow, it's not that the first stage goes away, first stage will come in in different moments, especially during challenges so like what we're going through right now it's it's totally normal for our survival first stage self to come forward and be in that sort of fight or flight instinct and that can be a good thing too when that comes forward because it informs us of what we actually do need in order to feel stable and solid
0: mm-hmm. Beautiful. Okay. And I, and I'm guessing that it's possible for people to move through the stages because as I hear you talking about the second stage, I think about my own relationship with William and how like a lot of the time we can get to the place that you kind of had started talking about with the second stage of kind of rising above the wounding and being curious about the other, like the, I hear you, the expressing yourself, the curiosity, I would, I would say like some, you know, most of the time that's where we are in our relationships. Sometimes I'm totally in stage one and I'm upset about something because it reminds me of something else and I'm tired of that thing, whatever it is. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about what a relationship looks like with two people who are in the second stage?
1: Yes. And so again for those that are listening like to not shame or judge yourself for going into first stage moments we all do it and even when you've touched a second or third stage you will have first stage moments because we're human. So when we move into a second stage it's exactly what you were seeking to. There's more of a curiosity, there's an openness, there's a willingness to hear the other. There's a willingness to put aside your needs in that moment and really create a safe space so that there can be vulnerability that's shared. So it kind of takes away that sort of armored up defensive mechanisms that come forward when we feel threatened or we feel afraid. And there is a willingness to be in conversation and to really hear the other. So it's a beautiful place to go to um, when things come up. It's, you know, there, there may be need, a need to kind of take some space if you're activated in the first stage. And then you can come together and have a conversation about what happened. That is the second stage. Speaking, communicating, you know, being able to hear the other, that's the second stage. And then as I was saying earlier, as we're seeing sort of in life and in the collective in like a big way, a beautiful shift from, let's just call it the the of that women have been going through from being sort of muted and quiet and not really expressed to really standing forward and speaking up and sharing their voices and claiming who they are. That is also a second stage sort of pendulum swing that's occurring. So Mm. does, does that make sense in terms of like the different ways that that's expressed?
0: Yeah, definitely. And then I believe there, is there a third one, Jess?
1: Yes. The third stage. So then the third stage looks and feels very differently. And it's interesting because the third stage can sometimes almost look like the first stage, but there's a different energy behind the things that you do. So the third stage, whereas the second stage is about the other, the third stage is really about the world, if you will, or like service or devotion. So these words, these concepts, what does that mean? It's like, if I'm in relationship and I'm in relationship for him or for just us, that's one sort of step forward out of from beyond sort of being a relationship for myself. But if I'm in a relationship for the world, you know, me and my husband, John, what we try and remember is like this love isn't for us it's for the world. So what does that mean when we're really in devotion of one another and we're recognizing that it's really beyond the other, but it's really about this sort of universal energy that moves through us in the sort of alchemy of our relationship we then are able to show up more fully in the world and that then ripples out and affects the people in our lives, whether it's our clients or strangers as we walk down the street and feel embodied in that. So it's like getting out of this, you know, focused space of yourself or just your relationship even, and moving into the space of like understanding that when we're really living from that place of fullness and are in a sort of devotional space with our partners or with ourselves, that ripples out and affects everyone around us. So what that looks like in terms of, let's say, an argument, if there's, a, let's say, a first stage moment, an argument that occurs, moving into the third stage would be creating art out of that moment. So what that could look like would be like, let's say, the anger is present first stage, you could move into a space of utilizing that anger, recognizing like, wow, what does the, how does anger want to be expressed through me right now from a place of serving the world? I know this sounds a little bit esoteric, and it's hard to, to to put words to some of this, but it's like it's really moving it out of the context of like this is happening to me versus like okay, like this is present right now. How can I use this to like really? uh, activate the energy that they thinking about, like if the universe was wanting to experience anger or sadness or upset through me, what would that look like? And just the energetic and the understanding that it's coming through you from a different place, from something beyond yourself will shift the energy between you and your partner and it will create something beautiful. So it. it it, it looks much different. It's like much more service oriented. It's much more feeling connected to, you know, whether the the listeners um, believe in God or the divine or spirit, whatever you want to call it, or some higher force. It's moving into that space of recognizing that we're just these like meat suits, these bodies that are being sort of like, you know, animated by something beyond us, by a spirit beyond us, if you will, and how do you move into that energy of recognizing that this is happening for you so that you can then create art out of it.
0: Hey U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I wanna make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you, and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to u-turnpodcast.com slash Clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash Clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And I, I also feel like, you know, you, it's good that you kind of highlighted, like we move through all of these different stages. It's not like we have to judge ourselves if we achieve this level of using our love for the world. But if we descend for lack of a better term into one where we're in our wounding, that's okay too. And so I guess what I'm curious about is you talk a lot about devotion and you also talk about polarity. Like, Can you tell everybody a little bit about like, what, how do you hold your thoughts around devotion and what it really means um, to explore devotion?
1: Yeah. So I, I identify with being more feminine in my way of being. And so it really doesn't have anything to do with like being a woman. It's just that my recourse is to femininity, which is more of the essence of, devotion or, uh, light or fullness or like, uh, just sort of like the flow of the universe, the everything, like the abundance of what is present. Whereas the masculine is more focused on, um, spaciousness and sort of stillness and quiet. They're also very action oriented, We all have everything within us. We're both feminine and masculine. It's just some people lean more towards one and some people are balanced. And so it's just identifying what is true for you, not from a place of wounding, but from a place of like who you actually truly are. You then call in a partner that's your reciprocal. So if I'm authentically 90% feminine, my partner, my husband, my beloved is 90% masculine. And so mm-hmm. that creates polarity. When I'm in my feminine and he's in his masculine, there is a polarity. Like if you think about a negative and a positive magnet, they they are attracted to one another. There's polarity, there's activation there. So from the perspective of my feminine heart, at the the, the essence of it is devotion. So being in devotion, again, if I'm in my first stage collapse or if I'm in my upset or if I'm in my wrong making or my fear or my wounds, it's hard for me to tap into devotion, totally normal and totally okay. But when I'm in sort of that egocentric space of poor me or I'm scared or why is this happening? My heart is closed and I feel contracted. And so that sort of very open and all-encompassing state of devotion is hard to access. When my heart is open, my my intention is to go towards devotion. So what that looks like and feels like is, again, this concept of whatever it is you believe in, um, call it whatever you want to call it. A lot of people... In a lot of my clients don't necessarily feel comfortable with using the word God. So we use universe as a sort of way to channel this concept. And so it's like feeling into my reverence and love for the world, for the universe. If I can stay in that space and trust in my essence of being that like that, which is open and loving and connected to something beyond myself, then I'm in this devotional practice. What that then does for my partner is it, it activates something inside of him because when our hearts are open as the feminine and we're in that space of devotion, it is the most inspiring and attractive energy to the masculine and it actually breathes life into them. So It's like feeling into this space of, you know, again, I'm just going to bring it to what's present right now with everything that's going on in the world. There's a lot of panic and fear. And of course it's natural for us to go to that place. But what I know to be true for myself and the well-being of my family and my home is that if I can stay connected to devotion through my practices, through rituals, through just breathing and connecting to my heart, it actually ripples out and impacts the way that John then is able to do work in the world and go out into the battlefield, if you will, and deal with everything because I am this sort of reservoir of love and it's inspiring and it it supports our partners in, in feeling reconstituted after, you know, a long day at the office, if you will. And it supports our home and feeling like a really yummy sanctuary, if you will, when everything else is feeling chaotic. So does that sort of answer your question in terms of what is devotion?
0: Yeah. Beautiful. And I also want to just ask, cause it sounds like it's so tied to feminine energy, but can you paint a little more of a picture or just adjectives for somebody who resides in feminine energy? And I also feel like you were saying like figuring out where you naturally reside. I think so many people, they might've grown up in survival mode, you know, or maybe they have never had money or success or the things that, have have driven them today to fight for those things and like really push for those. And so maybe they've spent a lot of years in masculine energy, but, and they don't really know who they are. You know what I mean? Because they've been pushing, like, how do you implement both energies and what does it look like to, to, f- to figure out which one you actually are? You know what I mean?
1: Great question. So yeah, absolutely. We, again, because of our lives and our history and our traumas and the wounds, we will naturally kind of go into what David refers to as like shells of who we are, but it's sort of like, you may grow up, like, for example, for me personally, I, as a feminine sort of person, you're more sensitive. There's more of a connection to the heart. There's more of a connection to uh, intuition and like feeling modalities and, connection and relational dynamics that's just like sort of a natural part of femininity um, there's more connection to sort of being able to kind of go with the flow or feeling like lots of different things um, being inspired by like nature and like the abundance of that and just see the, the richness of nature is a great example of something that's feminine and like rich with life. Right. So there's that's like feminine energy. It's also the receptive energy within us. It's the part of us that is able to receive and, um, kind of open to that sort of receptive state. And then the masculine, which is also a gorgeous energy is more sort of inclined to space, and stillness and almost like this concept of nothingness like is is able to kind of go into a space and be okay in like sort of a meditative state where there's no distractions right so it's like um being being sort of inspired by that quiet stillness the presence
0: okay. sounds like focus too would that be okay.
1: accurate definitely focus so again in the world what that looks like is someone who's very directive focused um directional um is able to take action is very you know one pointed focus is a great way to describe it it's not like doesn't get distracted by all the things it's this energetic of like being able to like show up and get things done um so we require both we are both and it's important to understand like you can be one way in life but when it comes to intimacy you know, understanding where you authentically fall in relationship is a really different story. So it's like sometimes like when I'm holding space for clients, I'm in my masculine, I'm holding a container and I'm being a presence and I'm being still. And I'm, it's very important for me to go into that place versus going into my feminine. It wouldn't be supportive in moments it would, but it wouldn't be supportive in terms of the container I'm here to hold for people to go through their healing process. But when I'm my man, I don't want to be in my masculine. I want to be held. I want to be able to be in my full feminine. So being able to switch between them is also a practice to master and learn about. And then as you were asking about, you know, knowing where you fall just an example for me personally, you know, growing up again, I came into this life as I was sharing very feminine, very attuned, very sensitive. Um, and then as I grew up and was sort of conditioned, you know, seeing that like I was more validated by sort of like the feminine, but not an empowered way. It was like more about my looks or, You know, more about just this, like, I I didn't feel like I was being really, um, supported in terms of my intelligence or, you know, as a little girl, it was like, Oh, Jessica is this, you know, she's beautiful or she's special because of that. But there was like a discount of these other aspects of me that were really important. And so I kind of moved into this space of focusing more so on my masculine and, I also received a lot of messages around the feminine being weak. And so I saw my sensitivity as a burden. I saw my femininity as a weakness because of the things that I bought into. So there was like a shunning of that and a move towards the masculine. Okay, I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to go you know, into the world and learn and like study and just immerse myself in academia. And I'm going to be focused because I don't want to be weak. And my sensitivity is a weakness and my feeling abilities is a weakness so I moved towards that not from an empowered place but from a place of this is what this is what I need to do in order to be received and so i grew a shell of masculine energy and then i called in men that had grown a shell of feminine energy, because maybe they went through life where they felt like their masculine energy was being made wrong. And so they grew a shell of feminine energy. So again, reminding our listeners that you're always going to attract in that, which is the reciprocal of where you're at. So if you're in your masculinity as a woman, or as a man, you're going to attract in a partner, whether it's a man or a woman, or whatever it is you identify as that are in that reciprocal energy. And so what the process looks like in terms of uncovering the truth of who you are is really doing this kind of work around self-development and understanding the wounds that we all carry and where we bought into you know, the lies before we knew they were lies about ourselves and really stripping away. So for me, it was realizing, wow, I have a really disempowered relationship with the feminine. Wow. I actually believe that being feminine is weak. Wow. This is actually not true. And so it then led to me immersing myself in rediscovering my feminine energy and seeing the beautiful power in that and what that did was it supported me in healing so much within myself. And then it actually enabled me to call in a partner that could hold me fully. So it's a, it's a stripping away process. It's a willingness to get vulnerable with yourself. It's, you know, definitely not for the faint of heart because it's facing a lot of our shadows and the things that we don't want to look at. But then once we start to do that and we peel away these layers, we can actually come into contact with our truth, and we can cultivate both our masculine and feminine energies from a place of empowerment. And then what that does is it calls forth a partner that's also empowered in both his or her masculine and feminine energies.
0: Okay. So this is also where I have a question. Like I know that like 42% of women right now in the United States are the breadwinner. And so they are in this and the majority of college degrees right now are actually going to women. And so with women in this doing, Mm -hmm. Um, as you're talking about with polarity, I think a lot of them may be attracting men who, um, you know, you're saying like if you're in one energy, you're attracting the other. So maybe they're attracting men who have, uh, who lead with more feminine energy and they want to kind of restore that balance in their relationship. Like what would be, some sort of like approach or thought that a woman would be having if she's like a boss babe, like pushing herself really hard at work and like really cares about her career, but she wants to like soften and start to create that space in her relationship so that her guy, if he is kind of defaulting into feminine energy or even choosing it, that she can create space for him to meet her and they can have that mutual shift
1: great question. I'd say 90% of my clients are boss babes. And so this is, you know, a very, very real topic for us women that are on the rise in such gorgeous ways. And again, none of this is to negate that process. It's an important process. It's an important shift in our world, and it's an important energy to cultivate. And again, what I'm seeing is this like kind of big pendulum sort of swing that's occurring from a place of empowerment. But it's like the rising up is also, it's important that we sort of let go of the old paradigm of what it means to be a woman as it relates to more of that submissive energy or disconnect from our power. Absolutely. And there's still an opportunity for us to really recognize the power that comes with the softness, the intuition, the vulnerability, the connection to intimacy and our ability to feel things and come from our heart. And so what I'm finding with a lot of my clients is as they move into, you know, their incredible sort of boss babe realities in life from the place of heart centeredness and feeling more connected to that energetic, they do much better in the world. And they're also able to channel that into their relationships. So what that looks like when it comes to, again, going into relationship with someone let's say you are wanting to be more in your feminine as a woman or a man with your partner, it requires certain practices and in moving into that space. So you let's say, or have spent the day at the office or at home, but you're kind of in that sort of doing mo- mentality. You're being really focused and in your masculine energy, you're going to have to then intentionally move into a space of femininity um, maybe prior to connecting with your partner so that there's a softening and that occurs, because what will happen is, you know, you may depolarize if you don't intentionally move into that space or cultivate practices so that you're both in your masculine, or again, what you were saying, your partner will be in his feminine or her feminine, and that isn't actually what you're wanting. So different practices that are important are, you know, again, connecting to the sort of devotional. Energy that's within us all through dance, through movement, through song, through poetry. Artistic expressions are really supportive in getting us into our feminine sort of feeling energy. Sensuality practices are really important in terms of getting us into our feminine energy. So whether it's through, um, you know, drawing yourself a beautiful bath with candles and music, um, putting lotion on yourself and just like really feeling your body um, being in a practice in terms of just connecting to your heart and, you know, asking her what she needs from you and just being in that sort of dialogue with the heart, all of these things that allow you to soften into more of that space of feeling and intimacy within yourself is going to support you in Also calling forth the masculine in your partner, you know, on a more surface level, you know, putting on like adorning yourself in feminine clothing could be a way to access that. So not to be dependent on that, but it's like when I put on a beautiful dress that's like really soft and, you know, is like made of silk or something. It just kind of gets me more into that sensual space within myself. And it allows me to feel more connected to that, which then again, ripples into the energetics of things. And then my partner is more activated by that and moves more into the masculine. Does that sort of make sense?
0: Yeah. So it almost sounds like, you can create that dynamic shift without a conversation and just on your side of the street quite possibly.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. Absolutely. So I think
1: that's important for us to remember that like, again, it's, it's, it's really great and it it's supportive to have conversations about this with your partner, but just on your own, it's really good to know that you can do this and that it's, it's really actually like, essential for us to be able to access this on our own because so much of the time I'm doing things, I'm in that practice and it's not even being spoken about and maybe mentioned or acknowledged, but I can feel the shift in the energy. I can feel the shift in the room. And so for us to remember, again, as those of us that do relate more to the feminine energy, there's so much power in that energetic that goes beyond what's spoken beyond what's tangible, it's really like this sort of invisible force field that we can tap into within ourselves that then impacts the room around us. It's kind of like when you go into, like, have you ever experienced someone walk into a room and you're just like, whoa, what's going on there? Like you're just drawn to that person and and it doesn't really even matter what they look like or what they're wearing or what they're doing, but they just like, you can feel their presence. That's someone tapping into their feminine energy.
0: Ah, beautiful. Okay. And this actually gets me really curious about wounded versus empowered versions of the masculine and the feminine. And can you give somebody like, and some examples of what somebody would say if they're in the wounded feminine or in the empowered feminine, like just so that people can start to kind of self-identify. So
1: I would say like, I would say just like on, like beyond like feminine, masculine, we're in our wounds when we're in our sort of upset and blame and projection mode. So if, if something occurs and we feel like it's someone's fault, there's a wound present within us. When it comes to the feminine, you can be in your disempowered feminine when you're in sort of a blame mode. And it could look like either one of these things, it could look like you kind of like in a sort of chaotic rage, which is, based on your wounding, which is based on your upset and your wrongmaking, So chaotic rage can also be present in a third stage moment in intimacy where that comes forward. But it, the place it's coming from is very different when you're in your upset and you're sort of like raging or you're wrong making or you're screaming or you're throwing things. You're just like having a tantrum. That's like disempowered feminine from the place of you did something wrong. There is an issue. It could also look like a collapse where it's quiet and fear-based. And so I will often go to this place um, versus I'm not so much. I don't normally, my recourse isn't to go into like, fuck you. It's more to go towards making myself wrong and collapsing and closing my heart and just being like in fear-based mode and then walking on eggshells. That would be a disempowered feminine place to go to. So it can be either of those things if that makes sense. Yeah. From a masculine perspective, it's there's like a, a a closing down and an armoring up that occurs. So it's like moving into a space of like almost disconnecting from the heart as well. But just really shelling up and closing down and like going into silence mode. Right. So masculine, but from that place of like wrong making as well, or not feeling inspired by, or not wanting to connect. So it's a different energetic. I think the important thing for us to all remember is like, where's the come from is the come from, from this place of empowerment of like feeling like, like I'm feeling energized right now. And I like, I feel this like energy wanting to like create this rage inside of me. And that could really be a powerful experience when you let yourself go to, not from a place of wounding, but from this place of feeling the collective like energy. And there will be moments in our intimacy. I mean, this is a little bit, I'm sharing, but this is a, it may be TMI, but it's like there will be moments in our intimacy where I'm like, I feel fueled by the collective rage and I'll just be like screaming, but it's like artful and it's, it's inspiring and it's not focused on you did something wrong. So again, just to kind of clarify with the masculine, there's like a shutting down and a sort of disconnect that can occur where it's not fueled by love. It's not fueled by consciousness. It's fueled by like, fuck this. I'm not going to deal with this. And I'm going to just like, you know, separate myself and go to that place of silence, but not from any sort of inspiration.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, Jess. And, um, and also I I know that you talk a lot in your work and I know we just have a little, like, you know, 10 minutes left or whatever, but you talk a lot in your work about love and loss. And I know that with your mom being sick, who I love so much, you've gone through so much, I think with love and loss, not just in relationship, but you know, romantic relationship, but in your family. So can you share with everybody about this kind of Dynamic and this juxtaposition um, and how people can start to think differently about it. Mm,
1: Yeah, I think this is like probably one of the most important things for us to remember and it will actually set us all free if we can really kind of get on board with this concept. So what I've come to realize, again, within my own life, but like we all go through loss in different ways. I mean, from the moment we come into this life, we're experiencing loss on some level, whether it's by choice or not, you know, We lose things and people and there is a really unhealthy relationship to that because we don't want to experience pain because it's scary and, you know, it doesn't necessarily feel good. And so what we do is we just kind of close off to that. We numb ourselves, we disconnect from that. But what ends up happening is we also then end up disconnecting from our ability and our capacity to love because the two go hand in hand. And that's my perspective, but if, if one were to really get on board with this, they would see that the opportunity for us to lean into this concept of understanding that love is not without loss, that yearning is part of loving as big as we do, there would be so many more people being able to experience the depth of love that's available to us both within, within ourselves and in relationship. And so, you know, I have been blessed, I mean this is going to sound a, like a weird word to use, but blessed with this opportunity to really understand this concept in relationship with my mother who was, you know, my best friend and actually you can speak to this. I mean so inseparable and close and really the most important person in my life who saw me and then she forgot me. And so in moving through that experience, what that did for me was it really helped me to remember myself and then to move into the space of really leaning into pain and grief. And so when we can do that, what that does is it then allows our heart to stay open in these moments of sorrow or hardship or despair, whatever the words you want to call it that relates to pain and loss look like and keep our hearts open, which then allows for those experiences to move through us, but not stay stuck within us. And so for me, you know, My practice looks like taking moments of pain, taking moments of grief, taking moments of despair and turning them into art. So I'll move into a space of like, oh, I'm feeling really scared right now with what's going on in the world. And I'll take that and I'll create a painting out of it, or I'll let the universe experience my grief through sacred dance and I'll just let my body move without needing it to look like anything in particular or I'll take my my anger in this moment for feeling like wow I can't believe I'm like losing my mom to this and I'll bring it into intimacy and I'll create art through connection with John so there's ways to lean into this and what that does for us is it again allows us to keep our hearts open Versus what most people do, they don't want to feel these things. So they close up and they protect, but then they are disconnecting themselves from their capacity to experience great love. And that's Mm -hmm. why so many people are without it. So It's really a a cultivation of this, the inner resiliency that we all have access to and trust within ourselves that we are all capable of rising through hard moments. And from that perspective, a willingness to free fall through these hard moments with an open heart, which then allows us to move through the harder moments with beauty and grace, and art-making, and it also allows us to experience the great depth of love that is here for all of us to experience.
0: Oh, Jess, this has been so great. I feel like everybody is going to want to learn more, follow you, and everybody um, on Instagram, she's at the Feminine Heart, and it is such an awesome page that she just restarted, um with just so much content and like amazing captions for you to sit with. Jess, can you tell everybody like what is it, what is the process or how do you approach working with someone so that they can understand if they should be getting in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so I mean I've been very blessed to you know, I I think it's been like this very synchronistic process where the right people have come into my life through referrals. And so, you know, or through experiencing me through some of these different modalities. And so for me, it's like, I, I want to work with women who I know I can support and who are ready to kind of go into this really um, incredible and in moments challenging place of of really discovering who you are and willing to free fall as we just talked about. And so you can just reach out to me, um, through Instagram. I do have a website, uh, that is not as updated as I'd like it to be, but I will be updating, um, the soon. And right now my website is Jessica You can also reach out to me through email, um, jmw the number 837 at mail.harvard.edu and so yeah the process just looks like you know us connecting us having a conversation me being able to feel where you're at you feeling me and us really deciding together is this the right fit and if not mm-hmm. and supporting you and finding what is
0: Thank you so much, Jess, for being here with me. I love you so much. I'm so grateful for all of this. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey there, it's Ash here, and I am reflecting on the episode with Jessica Winter Stern, one of the most, I would say, best kept secrets in the coaching space. A lot of people don't know. magic that she's up to. So it's really fun that I got to bring her onto the podcast as an old friend of mine who ever since age 18, now in our 30s, we've just been growing, growing, growing. And I will say she's always had this feminine, loving way of being. And I always had this masculine doing and loving, of course, but doing way of being. And she's been really instrumental for me in my continued growth and healing as I continue to choose this path of integrating both my masculine and my feminine energy. And one of the biggest beliefs I've noticed keep my masculine energy up is the belief that I have to do it all, or the belief that nobody is going to show up if I don't handle things. And it's been such a growth opportunity for me to be in partnership with William and let him show up for certain things that I might want or hope for, but don't want to do on my own. And so my invitation for you is to start to get curious, what kind of energy do you think you're in most of the time? And what belief are you buying into about yourself, about life, about your work that is keeping you leading with that energy? I think sometimes this really starts with figuring out what we're believing that keeps us operating a certain way. So we could put a little air around it and decide if it's what works for us, because, you know, we're all just kind of creating who we are along the way. And sometimes it's by default where we don't even question it. And other times it's by design where we get to kind of zoom out and take a look. So uh, which energy do you think you lead with most of the time? Do you feel like that's your true nature? And if it's not, uh, what belief are you buying into that is keeping you in that energy, really leading with it? Um, And how can you soften or harden and get into more action and get a little more feisty with your masculine energy? So uh, Jessica's incredible. Encourage you to follow her at The Feminine Heart. And uh, thanks again for being here.